Hello, everybody, and welcome to Star Talk, a podcast presented by the Aniston Star. I'm Philip Tudor, columnist here at the Star, and I will be joined today by Dr. Elizabeth Gulledge, the Chief Nursing Administrator and Associate Dean of the School of Health Professions and Wellness at Jacksonville State University in Jacksonville, Alabama. Today, Dr. Gulledge and I will discuss the state of nursing higher education during this global pandemic of COVID-19, how JSU's nursing faculty is handling online instruction, and the effect this pandemic is having on nursing students. Here's our interview. Well, Dr. Gulledge, I appreciate you doing this. This is uh, something I've I've wanted to do, and welcome to the uh, Anderson Stars podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm assuming this is a strange time for the nursing profession and for nursing educators, given the the, the COVID-19 outbreak and the stress that it is on all the nurses in, in this country. It is. Um, I don't think it's anything that anyone um, really has goes into their nursing career anticipating. I, I can imagine that, that you don't... Obviously, you teach about infectious diseases and how to care for patients who are very contagious, but I'm assuming pandemic response is not part of nursing curriculum, or is it part of the curriculum? Um, in, in graduate nursing curriculum, depending on what type of graduate degree, mm-hmm. um, our uh, population health degree does touch on that some. Um, when I was in graduate school with my master's at JSU, we did cover um, pandemic flu at the time. Um, that was kind of the H1N1 pandemic flu was in discussion back then. So, um, more on a graduate focus, but but our undergraduate students um, are afforded the the experience at the CDP and being able to um, participate in some simulation um, with that that I think has you know at least give them some perspective. But I don't think that any any degree or curriculum really prepares you for what's going on right now. So the the nurses that are dealing with, that would have a lot of experience in this, I'm assuming that means they would be getting that experience in the field as opposed to in their educational settings. Yeah, to to say if someone has a lot of experience, um, it would definitely be more um, from their actual um, field experience versus their um, didactic curriculum. Sure, sure. Do you get to keep in touch with JSU nursing graduates who are working in the field? I do. I actually have um, been in conversation with some of those students, former students, um, this last week or two. And um, so we we do try to stay connected and, um, you know, just make sure they're safe and healthy and, um, you know, know that they have us as a a resource um, if they need that. Um, So, you know, we have gotten that perspective from some of our past graduates. Do you know, have you talked to, to any of them who are working in these isolation units and, and are working with COVID patients? A lot of our students that I have talked to work at facilities who that may have COVID patients, but um, they, they may um, not actually be working on those units because sure. you do have to have a specialized skill set to be able to properly care for those patients. So, um, you know, some nurses are actually 
not even working right now um, right. because they, their units may be closed at their hospitals so that the hospital can divert all their focus and attention to um, the COVID crisis. So um, if it's not in a nurse's skill set to work with those type of patients, they may actually not be working. Right, right. And we're seeing that at hospitals all over the U.S., including here in Calhoun County, where there have been uh, staff reductions or um, hourly, uh, weekly hourly scheduling reductions because uh, the hospitals are having to not have um, uh, elective surgeries and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's certainly affecting a lot of your former students. Yes, it is. And, you know, of course, some of our students do work in specialty areas um, such as pediatrics and OB and mental health. But those those students may still be working. Um, they may not have as high a census in, on those units. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be pulled to uh, units that they have not typically worked at before. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag right now of what you see. Um, thankfully, the state of Alabama has not been hit as hard as other areas of our country right. at this point. So, um, you know, our, our nurses are not taxed to the um, extent that, say, a nurse in New York might be right sure, now. Sure. With your, um, you know, JSU's nursing program is always, at least in the 30 years that I've been here in the county, the nursing program at JSU has always been one of its, from my understanding, one of the most highly rated departments up there. And I'm assuming you place nurses all over the country or most of your graduates regional and stay in Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and so forth. I would say the majority are, are regional. Okay. Um, we do have um, students that choose travel nursing Mm -hmm. and they go all over the country we do have usually a handful of students in each graduating cohort that will test outside of this region and move to other states you know california colorado Mm -hmm. north carolina um texas but for the most part they stay within the region doctor i wanted to ask you about um the the state of nursing education during this pandemic. And, and what I mean by that is we hear, if, if you read news reports, you hear about nursing shortages at hospitals all over the country for different reasons. Um, how has JSU's nursing school fared in terms of your recruiting nursing students and keeping them interested? And are your numbers still good? I mean, you had the tornado a couple yeah. of years ago, you had to change your facility. You've been through a lot the last couple of years and now a pandemic. How is JSU nursing right now numbers-wise? You know, we're, we're very consistent, and we um, have had no problem recruiting very qualified um, students to our program. We actually increased our enrollment to upper division post-tornado, which hmm. I know some people thought we were crazy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we did, and um, we... In the past, prior to the tornado, our typical admitting cohort size was 64 to 72 students. Okay. And we would admit twice a year in the fall and the spring. But we increased that to 120. Hmm. And we have had no trouble um, with recruiting those students. They're, um, they come in very bright, um, very strong cohorts. They have done very well on the NCLEX test, our, our, our last test. 
um, three, four years of um, results on the NCLEX have been well over 90%. Hmm. And post-tornado, the year after the tornado, our um, NCLEX pass rate was 95.12%. And last year it was 94.92%. So um, we've continued to get stronger and recruit um, strong students. And so, you know, natural disaster did not impact us negatively in that, in that regard. And certainly did not scare away uh, strong, competent students. There are two things that you, that you mentioned, uh, Doctor, that I'd like to ask you about. You mentioned cohorts. How? What is that referring to? So when we admit a student into our upper division program, they're admitted in a cohort of students. So in the fall and the spring, we'll admit a cohort in each okay. uh, each semester. And so that cohort will be 120. Okay. And they take all of their coursework together through the whole program. So okay. they, they matriculate through a plan of study um, that is the same for all of them. In the NCLEX test, I, don't, I may not be pronouncing it exactly right. What is that? That's correct. What is that? That that is the um, examination that a graduate of a of an undergraduate nursing program, whether it's an associate's degree or a baccalaureate program, um, they take that exam that's administered through the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, and um, that you know you may have heard to, it referred to as boards. Okay. That's what okay. Some people will refer to it as, um, but it's the a licensure examination that they must pass to become a registered nurse. Okay. Okay. Do you expect the pandemic and all of the, the really the global um, uh, coverage that nursing is getting in this situation? Do you think that's going to drive up students' interest in entering nursing as a field? Because it's it, you can't turn on the news or read a newspaper or uh, news website without being kind of bombarded with stories of these heroic nurses and doctors all over the world. Is that, is that going to drive up interest in nursing, do you think? I do, I do believe that there will be um, um, some people that are drawn to the profession. Um, just like post-9-11 and the military, there were some people mm-hmm. that were drawn to um, join the military um, after 9-11. I think that there will be people drawn to health care as a result of the pandemic. Sure, sure. You know, when you watch the videos online, and I have to admit, Doctor, that I'm, I'm kind of um, <laughs> uh, obsessed with them because it's, they're fascinating, uh, the working conditions, that, particularly in Brooklyn and parts of Manhattan where th- these hospitals are just overrun and it's just, you know, the stories are awful and, and heroic at the same time. And um, what, from your standpoint, being in your field as a nurse and then a nursing educator, what makes a nurse be so committed to to essentially putting their life on the line in these situations. I mean, they're they're the firemen running into the burning house, mm-hmm. in a sense. I think it's the um, you know a nurse is a, a special breed of person that really does put their patients' needs above all else, even their own. And I think that's what we're seeing. Um, that you know they are ingrained from the time they begin school, that the patient is the heart of everything you do. And so um, it is, you know, it makes you proud to be a nurse, but it also breaks your heart for those nurses to see 
um, what they are potentially exposing themselves to. And, um, you know, I, I'm not on the front line, so I cannot speak to how that feels for them. And, and I am so amazed and impressed and proud of the nurses that are on the front line and giving all that they can and not seeing their families and exhausted beyond the brink of exhaustion and not having the proper equipment and seeing, you know, not knowing when the end is going to be. Right. That's exactly right. How long they're going to be in this situation. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at what they do, but I'm not surprised either. You know, I'm assuming, and if I'm wrong, tell me, doctor, that I'm assuming that nursing is like most professions and that you have um, people who are committed to it. It's a calling. It's what they want to do more so than what whatever they're paid or anything over the working conditions. And then I'm assuming there are some that they're nurses, they enter the field because they want that pay or the jobs, job stability. Um, sure. What's the difference between those people? I mean, is and I'm not trying to, to to either make one more heroic than the other, but I'm assuming there are some nurses who it is a calling, and then there are others that it's more of, if you will, just a job. Would that be correct? I, I do think that that someone's motivation for um, entering into the the field. Um, you know, some people are more pragmatic about why they have chosen nursing and they're looking at all the practical, you know, benefits of that career. Whereas, you know, we have students all the time that will say, I've always wanted to be a nurse ever since I was, you know, eight years old Mm -hmm. or, you know, they had a sick family member. There's something in their past that's inspired them to want to care for someone. And, um, so yes, motivation to enter into the profession may differ, but I do think even for those who enter with a very pragmatic approach to it, I think a shift does occur at some Mm -hmm. point. Um, where they do um, want, they do look at their profession as a calling, even if it wasn't that way in the beginning. Sure. I, I don't think that you can stay in the profession um, if you don't feel that on on some level. Sure, Doctor, I'd like to get back to what we were discussing a few minutes ago about your classes and, and the the training that student nurses get with dealing with patients who are highly contagious. Does that training include uh, how to properly wear a mask, how to put on PPE, you know, the term that we're hearing in the news now, the protective gear? How in-depth does that go with those students in terms of protecting themselves? Yeah, so um, the experience that they have at the CDP teaches them how to do that. Okay. So they get that experience. Um, and if they are ever in a clinical environment where they have a patient that may have an infectious disease, maybe not on the level of COVID-19, but they may have had instances before where a patient has been on isolation of some form and they've had to use um, some version of PPE. So, yes, I mean, they've had that exposure to um, to um, donning um, and doffing PPE. Um, is it a consistent every semester experience? Most likely not. Hmm. Um, but I would say that a lot of nurses in practice um, don't have regular exposure to that. Hmm. Um, to the level that we're seeing now. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, Doctor, that kind of surprises me. I, I would think that 
and again, I'm I'm not a, I'm not in your line of work, but I would assume that 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 would have that that is something that would be just um, paramount in your training. You know, that how how to do this and how to put this the, these materials on to protect themselves. And they they know how to put them on, but to to do it to the extent of what they are doing now, okay. and some of the creative measures that they've had to take <laughs> right. to oh, yeah. make equipment last. You know, when you're practicing in a lab situation, there is the assumption that when you if you really have to do this in the real world, that you're going to have access to all the necessary equipment that you need when right. you need it, and that you'll have a, a, an endless supply. And so now that we're seeing that that's not the case that's where they're really they're, they're needing to go above and beyond what they've been trained for because mm-hmm. they haven't been trained for how do you how do you deal with a highly infectious disease when you aren't given the adequate equipment to protect yourself sure sure and if i understand you correctly the training that the jsu students get at the cdp at mcclellan that would mean that the university does not have to keep a supply of, ma- of face masks and, and gowns and so forth because they would use that at the CDP. Is that correct? That, well, to an extent, we actually do have, um, or did, um, <laughs> have a supply of protective wear oh, okay. that we, we utilize in our lab, and we have gifted almost all of that to local facilities. Oh, wow. Um, so about three weeks ago, we, we gifted um, a large amount to RMC, to Gadsden Regional, and to Riverview. Hmm. And... Um, so we, we have had that on, on hand, um, and our students have been able to access that in the past. Okay. I'm assuming all of your classes are now online. Is that, would that be correct? That's correct, yes. Is COVID being mentioned in the lectures? Has that been included into the lectures for the students who are at that level? Um, you know, at this point, we have a curriculum that is already developed and approved, and they are just trying to get through and meet the objectives okay. of the current curriculum that we have right now. Okay. Um, they're in some courses. I know that um, faculty have had discussions with their nurse, their nursing students about, um, you know, the current state of COVID-19 and infectious disease, um, but you know, at this point, we're really just trying to help our students get through the semester mm-hmm. and um, and and meet the the minimum objective that we can. For, and, and, and I'm a, and I'm assuming, Doctor, that it's very different. The, the whole idea of getting through a semester that has been uprooted and 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 moved solely online that that has been extremely difficult for the nursing department because you have you need your students in the hospital and in the labs working you know learning these skills because it's tactile like it's not just online how how has that affected your faculty in the learn in the the instruction how can you do something like that online when they need to be in a lab doing it firsthand you know, I think the misconception is that um, when you're working virtually that it's easier and it's actually the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. So the faculty have been working very hard and um, 
very tirelessly to convert things to online and utilize virtual simulations. And Hmm. thankfully, this occurred at a point in the semester where most students were almost complete with their clinical. And the Board of Nursing, the Alabama Board of Nursing, did issue a temporary regulation that as long as students had met 50% of their required clinical, they would be considered to be um, complete. And hmm. so that that decision really assisted nursing schools across the state. And um, so w- we were very thankful for that. And um, so the, fa- the faculty are working very closely with their students and trying to meet those um, standards and objectives to be sure that they're qualified to go on to the next semester. And what, um, I was going to ask you, Doctor, though, what happens if this COVID pandemic lingers and we're still shut down and you have your fall semester and we're you're still having to do things online mostly online is that something you're concerned with well sure we have a a group of students that is um scheduled to be taking their last semester of nursing school this summer and within their last semester they do a 180 hour practicum at an assigned facility and as of right now the majority well all facilities are closed to students right now Hmm. and so it's kind of we understand that their concern is they they want to keep their ppe for their their own staff and um you know they're they're worried about bringing in students into that environment, which is completely understandable. But the catch-22 of that is if we're not allowed back into facilities this summer, then students will not be able to complete practicums. And so we have 104 students set to graduate in the summer that could be going to work in these facilities and helping them out that won't be able to graduate if facilities won't allow them to come in and do their practicums. So that's kind of the biggest concern that we have right now. And, um, you know, thankfully, as I mentioned, the Board of Nursing has been very understanding about 50% of clinical time. So we've reduced their practicum hours in the hope that we'll be allowed back into clinical agencies by June 1st. And if we are, then we should be able to get students um, completed in practicum so that they can graduate and start working in these facilities and helping with um, this current issue. So and, and- that, that- that's my biggest concern right now is, is I want to get the, the summer students graduated. And if they're, if, if they're not allowed back in by that date, what happens? Yeah, you know what? That's the, that's the bridge we're going to have to cross. And, and we, we're, you know, tossing around a few ideas. And, and I know that other, in speaking to other directors across the country, they're all worried about the same thing. And, um, you know, philosophically trying to decide if virtual practicums are really um, going to prepare students to be new graduate nurses or not. And, um, you know, we'll definitely have to develop that contingency plan as we get closer to June 1st if it looks like we're not going to be allowed back into the facility. Sure. And and, and you're, it's interesting to me, Doctor, that, that that's this is another example of how this pandemic has bled into everything in life. And I mean, whether it's high school, my daughter's a high school senior and her graduate, her commencement ceremony, she won't have that the way she's supposed to. And you know, the, the whole class of 2020 has been affected across yeah. this country. Um, 
And so in your specific situation with those 104 students that you mentioned, that's just another local example of how our lives have been so affected by this disease, whether you have it or not. And um, it, it must be very stressful for you guys. It is. And we did offer an option to those students that will be on track to finish in the summer. We offered them a, a second option if by any chance they or their parents were concerned about them going into these facilities or if they have a um, underlying health condition that puts them at risk, that we would offer them the option to take that practicum in the fall when we really don't normally offer that course and they could graduate in the fall because um, we do also recognize that you know, there are students that may have an autoimmune disease themselves mm-hmm. or a condition that puts them at risk or their parents are concerned. I mean, you have to remember a lot of our students are still very young, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 21, 22 years old, and their parents may be concerned about them, you know, being released into an environment, you know, such as we have going on right now. Um, we actually have only had a very small number of students take that option, but we did feel it was important to think about protecting them physically as well. Sure, sure. Well, Dr. Gillich, I do appreciate your time. This has been wonderful, and I thank you for joining our the STARS podcast, and I certainly wish you and your department and your students the best of luck as we try to get, get through this situation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. The STARS coverage of the COVID-19 outbreak is free to read online at anistonstar.com slash coronavirus. No subscription is necessary. But we love our subscribers, and if you'd like to subscribe, it's easy to do so. Just go to anistonstar.com slash subscribe. This is Philip Tudor of the Aniston Star, and thanks for listening.